sinister out here again, but that won't stop us from our righteous cause. No amount of fear will put a Rocco Public Radio in stasis. This is episode 46 of your favorite casual X-Men chat show, uh, Orbis Stellaris. I'm that nerdy Papa Bear, and this is the man who cast a write-in vote for Batman on his X-Vote ballot, my one and only Comega Mutant, Keegan. Hey, buddy. I feel, I feel like that's slander. I... That is slanderous. I campaigned for Brock Red Hood. Keegan. Red Hood. <laughs> the Penguin. <laughs> oh. uh, if you can't, if you're if you're just listening and you're not watching, you're missing one of the hints that maybe it's getting late in the night, and maybe we've already recorded one episode tonight, and maybe we're gonna be a little unhinged. Maybe. But welcome everybody. How you doing, Keegan? I am good. I am just so happy about all things X-Men Vote. So great. In this episode, we are talking all the comics that came out the week of July... Was it 4th? 5th. July 5th with X-Men Before the Fall, Four Sinisters number 1, X-Men 24, and X-23 Deadly Regenesis. But first... We're about to venture into X-Vote spoiler territory, and unlike the X-Force, we take our Black Ops role seriously. If you don't want to discuss this leak, go into the show notes and hit the timestamp for the Four Sinisters. We're going to give you like a four-second countdown. Fucking Juggernaut wins the X-Vote. Who wins the X-Vote? Do you know? Juggernaut wins the X-Vote. Oh. <laughs> Listen, I... I'm not mad about Juggernaut. I am not either. Uh, but I'm also not happy about Juggernaut. Here's my thing. Not the one I voted for. Not my first choice. But I'm so mad about him just being randomly regressed from his uh, Legion of X role into generic villain in Rogan Gambit. Well, if if this means his character development is either restored or pushed forward, it makes me okay with it. Yeah, you know, maybe Rogan Gambit is just a bad book. Like, hopefully that's what it is. Uh, no fault to the little guy, but maybe it's just a bad book. Um, you know, I've seen some takes online that it's like, why is it always someone that has a live-action adaptation? You know, or like a TV show adaptation. And okay. I get it to an extent. <laughs> but also, like, there's so many adaptations of the X-Men anymore. <laughs> uh, but, but also, is the Juggernaut beyond the meme, like, memorable from any of the movies? No, but, you know, like, don't let all your dreams be memes or whatever. Um, I, I just, you, you, I could see the argument with Polaris. I could see the argument with uh, Fire Girl. <laughs> but, 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 that's, maybe, maybe animated Juggernaut. You could maybe say, oh, it's because people love him in the cartoon. But I just don't see how anyone could think Juggernaut was like I I like Juggernaut in the movie, so I'm gonna vote for Juggernaut. Is not what happened. 
That didn't happen at all to anybody. There's not a single person alive who did that, I bet. <laughs> you know, honestly, here's the thing. I I wouldn't have been mad at any of the winners. I'm looking at the list of contestants. I know. This, this is really true. It was a great it, lineup this year. If I'm being honest, right, if I'm taking my prodigy fanboyism out of it, if I'm taking my Leah Williams fanboyism out of it, you know, so that it's not Prodigy or Dazzler or Jubilee. I'm fine with Cannonball or Frenzy or Juggernaut. Well, we did that really fun roundtable yeah. when the expo happened, and I feel like there was a good case to be made for every single person on that list, really. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'll say? Uh, finally, finally men get something in this world because the first two expo went to women come on it's about time a man gets to win a vote you know you're so... i can't even do it i can't even <laughs> <laughs> oh no all right let's talk about like the, the elephant in the room of how funny it is that it got leaked because Jerry Dugan did this X-Men Monday uh, interview back in, like, March, and he gave this, oh, man, I'm sure some shit heel will leak it. It's supposed to not be revealed until the issue comes out, but you just know someone will leak it. Some shit heel. And then, and he literally uses the word shit heel in the, in the interview. And then later in, he's like, I will give you one hint, though. In the it, uh, Hidden under the logo on the cover art is the winner of the vote. And then, in one of the issues this week, in the back where it has the, the Hellfire like preview, is the art without the logo. So you see Juggernaut there. So Jerry Dugan is that shit heel. None of us would have assumed that that was the winner of the X vote had he not explicitly told us the other person in this piece of art is the winner. <laughs> Stupid. I just, <laughs> I, you know, I just. After so much time, so much time defending Jerry Dugan or giving Jerry Dugan the benefit of the doubt, I, I put my soul and sweat and blood into this, and then he's the shit heel. <laughs> I mean, I'm not upset at he getting leaked. I just think it's really funny that dude would come out against the leak so hard and then beat a leak. Is really That's funny. That's the thing. I'm not. I'm not upset about the leak. I'm just upset that he's stupid. <laughs> Anyways, Jerry, love to have you on the show. <laughs> yeah. We're still hoping to get interviews with these writers, but we sure talk a lot of shit about some of them. But it's all out of love. Like we literally yeah. spend the majority of our free time reading and then talking about your works. We love yeah. the X Men, you guys. No, love absolutely. Them. And, and like. I, I I don't actually think Jerry's stupid. It's a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I I I majority wise really enjoy adjectiveless X Men. We're gonna we're talking about one of the issues a little bit later, and I'm gonna have very nice things to say about aspects of it. Mm -hmm. And a couple aspects I'm gonna have negative things to say, but it's gonna be majority positive. Yeah. And then there's a book we're gonna talk about before that that is almost entirely positive. Yes. I. I know I just talked about how much I love the uh, Heralds of Apocalypse 
but I might love this one even more. Are you ready to talk X-Men colon before the fall colon four sinisters number one? Yes. Written by Kieran Gillen, drawn by Paco Medina, it opens in 1852 with Nathaniel Essex courting Rebecca with a stroll along the like canals in London or the London River. I don't know what it is. They're in London and they're walking by a body of water. I assume it's it's some feature I should recognize. <laughs> in the present day, Doctor Stasis is preparing for a fancy dinner, still shocked that she is alive in the form of Mother Righteous. They banter a lot about who's been more successful, who figured out more sooner. They're meeting to negotiate the terms under which she will work with Orcus, and he's got like one final request he secretly passes to her. But uh, he doesn't do much to hide the fact that he also is treating it like a real date. He's got real romantic interest in this version of the wife of the version of the man he used to be. Okay. Okay, everyone's following so far. <laughs> Stasis reveals how little he's evolved over the last century and a half. He, like, straight up asks her, like, oh, what have you been enjoying reading? Treating her like the housewife she was a, whatever, three lifetimes ago. Uh, much to her amusement. They eat some gamma-radiated steaks, which is great. And he's got this line about, like, oh, yeah, Hulk tastes great or something. <laughs> Uh, classic good stuff. Uh, they regale each other with stories about how they filled their last centuries. Stasis reveals he discovered Mr. Sinister when he was working for the U.S. government in World War II, but thought that he was just leftover byproduct of Apocalypse's process to make him the one true Essex. Mother Righteous reveals she didn't know about Mr. Sinister until he was gallivanting with the X-Men, but that she discovered Orbis Stellaris very early. Stasis is shocked to learn that there's a fourth Essex, they didn't have a heartfelt conversation about Adam, the sickest son that they they lost, and their unborn daughter. Stasis reveals that uh, he thought when he stepped out of that cloning chamber, he was the like one true like reborn Nathaniel Essex. Mother Righteous reveals much of what he remembers was a false memory, provides him with the truth from a book from her library. Together, they visit the Millberry house, and Stasis rebuilds and then marks the grave of the family reminding her that Sinister would never mourn the loss the way he does, she finally reveals the truth that she was a poetic science project built out of regret as the original Nathaniel Essex died, or so she was told. Finally, they travel back to the banks of the London River, where Mother Righteous produces Selene, ready to take her place on the Quiet Council as seen in the last Immortal X-Men issue. In a post-credit scene, Dr. Stasis visits Orbis Stellaris, revealing that they had a secret alliance all along, Dr. Stasis announces that he is loyal to Mother Righteous. He would do anything for her, but that doesn't mean he's going to listen to her. She made a vow to him, and he expects her to keep it. To obey. See, she was so great. We've talked about it way too many times. Kieran Gillen gets these characters. Absolutely. Um, first of all, I have to say thank you for forcing me to read those old ass comics. <laughs> how is Sage how accurate those have become or how important they have become? I just and you you straight up you were like, oh you know, I just picked a random really good sinister story. Just read this. And it ended up being like so important <laughs> to yeah. all of this. It's so cool the way Kieran Gillen has completely, we used this word a lot last week, recontextualized that those random, that we read the Further Adventures, 
there was the previous just adventures, which is when Apocalypse made the original deal with Nathaniel. So it was we read part two of the story, but those two stories have been completely recontextualized and made really, really awesome by the stuff Kieran Keelan has played around them without actually retconning any of it. But he's he's weaved his story to make them so much better. And I'm I'm really glad we read them too. Because I hadn't read them in 15 years. Yeah, no, that was that was a good call. Um and yeah, this issue is just awesome. I loved so much about it. Lots of little stuff we can talk about like in it. But first off, I just want to say something happened with this issue I never thought would happen. Dr. Stasis is no longer the bottom of my uh, Essex ranking. I thought he would forever be the lame, oh, he's just just he's just sinister with a club on his head. I don't like uh, <laughs> this issue gave him way more. Gillen finally gave him the depth he didn't have. He's above yeah. Orvis Polaris now. And I, I get agree. Like, that's not saying much just to move from fourth to third. But, I mean, Mother Righteous and Mr. Sinister are just too great. But this made me give a shit. I like Stasis suddenly. Yeah, uh, I agree completely. This very much made Stasis just infinitely more interesting than he was before. Uh, and and infinitely more interesting than, or- than Orbis Stolaris at this point. Um, Which, theoretically, I'm, I'm going to keep the faith that he's going to get his oh, yeah. time to shine. But... Yeah, having Stasis represents the Essex who tried not to change is such an interesting. It seems obvious now that that's that I like. It's laid out in front of us, and it's like his name literally meant not changing. Absolutely, and yet it's done so in such a cool way, and it does separate him from Mister Sinister that. He truly just wants to live the life of an 1850s like aristocrat that can control his wife still, and it's just so good. I just, hit, hit me, hit me. Mother Righteous is the supervillain Eliza Doolittle, essentially. Like, <laughs> yeah, she's stepping out, and she doesn't need the man no more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just I love Mother Righteous so friggin' much. No, uh, me too. I I, just, I mean I mean it when I say she's my favorite X Men villain right now. I I'd have to agree. Every time she's on the page, I'm just so into it. I know there's there's people that are in uh, Sinister and Righteous fatigue at this point. I am not. I yeah. am all in on it. I will I will say having Apocalypse last week did remind me how much I love him. Like. I, I probably cliche to say like right now when they're the two being focused on, but probably Apocalypse and Mother Righteous right now are like vying for my favorite. I love them both. Oh yeah, and I mean you know, a classic versus a new. It's cool. Yeah. Um, little thing that they did. They this isn't the first time Kieran Gillen's done it, but they kind of solidified it when Stasis talked about uh, Mister Sinister's time working with the american government during world war ii is they are fully erasing the mistake of having mr sinister work with the literal nazis Mm -hmm. uh that was apparently only in like two issues in 2003 and 2005 but it's kind of hovered over the character for a long time yeah and i really like 
Gillen gave this interview about it where he talked about how it never sat right with him as an idea because as like the master machine splicing mutant guy, uh, like the, the mastermind Omega mutant essentially of geneticism, if you will, having him side with the Nazis implies a level of them being right or something that just didn't feel okay. Like, like if the top if the top guy genius in the field is working with them, that implies that they had something of value to them, and that didn't feel right. And I think that's a really great point to make that there is no reason Sinister should work with those characters. Absolutely, those that with, with that uh, with the Nazis, he should even, not be working with the, the most evil army ever. <laughs> even historically, it kind of made no sense because of like the brain drain in Germany. Yeah. You know, like the like literal brain drain where all of the scientists left and started working for america uh, yeah. <laughs> but like it made it made no sense so i'm glad that even even so like it made it so that even the those issues to now could be kind of brain drain explained as well yeah definitely love it they did this really fun way of having them like both reveal what they did for the last century where there were these silent like panels all laid out just showing everything they have done. Yes. Mother, Mother Righteous had two that to me stood out as kind of big reveals. So she's just randomly reading a bedtime story to two twins in a crib that it's not explicitly said, but those twins are Billy and Tommy, the Scarlet Witch's kids. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then in the next panel, she's writing, rewriting somehow modifying the dark hold i mean i don't know, I don't know how i don't know how the scarlet witch fans haven't like freaked out because they're very very protective of her as a character but i just love embedding her in these monumental moments yeah oh mother righteous is so cool it, it's it's fantastic i want to know more about it you know i want to know more about this connection and well it's Gillian's gonna give it to us. He's all yeah. about that foreshadowing, baby. I agree. Uh, it'll be great, and uh, I, who knows? Maybe, may, maybe another unimportant series will become important. <laughs> <laughs> I am interested to see. I think. I think that's this upcoming week that it finally comes back after that Magneto reveal. It took like a month and a half off. Yeah. Because remember, Magneto is alive in Scarlet Witch. <laughs> uh, speaking of Karen Gillan and foreshadowing, mm-hmm. uh, so the the book that Mother Righteous like reveals, and we'd seen it before when she was revealing something else. She, uh, she reveals what's happened or is happening to people through a manuscript that uh, is the true story of the fall of House of X, right? And in one of them, when she was showing it to Stasis at the end, it talked about the final chapter being the rise of powers of X. Yes. I think that's foreshadowing that after fall of X, we're getting rise of X, which is a sick name for an era. Yeah, I think so too. That would be great. I would love that. 
I mean, it also could just be fun wordplay, but I, I think I think it's the name of the next era in, like, the first hint. Remember how we got, like, the hint of Sin the Sinister, like, forever ago? And yeah. They, they love to do that. They love to like, leave us breadcrumbs if you're paying attention. Uh, thoughts on the way they brought Celine back? I thought that was, it was a cute scene. Yeah, it was fine. I feel like that was the least important part of the issue, but... It like, absolutely felt like the least important part of the issue. Like, in Immortal X-Men, when she just showed up, I was fine with that being how she came back. I didn't need to be, have it explained to me. For all of the things that I read in our books and go, man, I wish I had more context on that right now, it was not Celine coming back. Agreed. That was really left on my list. Well, and I'll be honest, I still don't understand, like, what the actual context of it was. But, like, I'm going to bring the moon down, and instead it's the the physical embodiment of death. That I, uh, it was just, it was a weird, it played out weird. I did not love that scene. But the rest of the issue was so amazing, it, it made up for it. I didn't worry yeah. about it. It's, uh, it's a very good issue when that scene does not, like, bring down the quality of the book. Dr. Stasis, good actor playing up that he had never heard of Orbis Stellaris and that end reveal, so much fun. Yeah. And, like, he builds up this sympathy for him with his, what seems like true love for her and, like, going, modifying the grave and the just earnestness he seems to be having that dinner. So you build the whole issue with this, like, man, maybe Stasis isn't, like, the total shitheel of the group. And then the reveal that, that as much as he does love her, he does expect her to obey. So he's totally running some scheme with Stellaris. So good. Yeah. Just subvert it. It managed to subvert my expectations by returning the character to where he's always been. Because they, they, they like left turned it enough that when they went right back to where they were, it was so jarring. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it gives so much more context for all of his moves from here yeah. on out that it's just going to be its gonna be even more fun. I could read the, these four fucking with each other for like 12 years. Like, just give oh. me a new sinister event every six months. I'm good. I, I would love some Game of Thrones-ass epic about the four of them fighting for Dominion. Absolutely. And we know one of them gets it. Mm-hmm. Although I still kind of like your idea of somewhere out there is the... The original still. The original essays. Yeah. So all of that, like him doing his shit heel stuff, her like wanting nothing to do with him. How are they still a better couple than Rogue and Gambit? <laughs> you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes you gene experiment on your child. Sometimes you attempt to blow up a waitress. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. And in all earnestness, in all earnestness, yeah. better couple than Gene and Scott right now, too. Hey. Are you ready to talk, X-Men 24? Let's, let's talk about it. <laughs> Written by Jerry Dugan, drawn by Joshua Kassara. It opens with Kid Cable showing up in the Rockies. You remember Kid Cable? He's back! Well, till Dr. Stasis freezes him and Moira re- reveals that Manifold, and thus... Rogue and Gambit's dumb mini series is super important. 
We get a data page that reveals the time variance authority is watching an increase in timeline shenanigans around the third Hellfire Gala, and that they keep a close eye on any variant of Haven. Uh, Destiny and Rogue have a really, really important conversation about why Manifold is important. I mean, not really why. They talk about how he's really important, and then Destiny's like, I can't tell you why, you just gotta believe me because I'm Destiny. Uh, and then the actual X-Men team is dispatched to Game World because they sent a distress signal. Pogger Pog is on a rampage. Remember Pogger Pog from Exosaurus? Oh, I love Pogger Pog. Uh, Gene and Scott watch through the gate, talking cryptically to each other, and the team does their best to take down Pog and his Poglets because he's got little miniature versions of his alligator running around. Oh, I love it. Forge hits up the bar and explains that he doesn't like to jump into situations too quickly anymore. So apparently that's his character arc from this this year's comics. Uh, Talon uses her claws to wire his jaw shut while Firestar burns his torso, forcing the gnome, who apparently lives inside, to climb out. Yep, yeah, that's the big reveal that Pogger Pog is essentially a costume for a gnome. <laughs> they bribe him with some Mysterium, and he just leaves peacefully. And some of the team isn't real pleased with such an anticlimactic ending. But they all go off to get drunk, and Jean and Scott have a chat where Jean reveals that she's going to leave the team. Uh, she's upset with him because, you know, she built an entire planet, talking about when they terraformed Arako. And his response was essentially to never visit and to judge it because it feels like the mutant's running away. And... Clearly, this relationship is going really, really poorly. Uh, so she heads home, and she finds Polaris having a breakdown over losing Magneto. And Jean reassures her, once an X-Man, always an X-Man. And then in, like, uh, epilogue, magic helps Sunfire head to Otherworld to search for Red Root, finally. Which apparently ends up with him stranded for months, and that's going to be told in an X-Men Unlimited arc. It was really weird to end the issue with essentially an ad for the Marvel Unlimited comic, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that was. I, I guess maybe that's that's gonna be really. I mean, Red Root's important. That's the the voice of Morocco, but I don't know. I just that's probably my one my my biggest nitpick with the issue. I had a ton of fun with it. I feel like this this was Dugan doing what Dugan does better than a lot of the issues Absolutely. that we have had issues with. Absolutely. I thought it was a pretty fun issue, that ending, though. I just... I don't know. I Here's the thing. Marvel Unlimited is nice, but it is a little unwieldy to navigate. Yeah. And uh, I don't know that I care enough to do it. <laughs> For me, the Unlimited comics are a fun thing that when I'm all caught up with everything else, I don't have anything to do. I go and I, I binge them. I don't, I don't follow them weekly because I also don't open my Marvel Unlimited app every week. I, I just mm -hmm. don't. And honestly, they're such short chapters. Like to me, it's not always worth it to go read just one. But I'll go binge like every time they switch writers or whatever. Yeah. But I, I also like I like them as low stakes, especially the X Men ones because you've got so much going on in Krakoa. The best are when they're just like slice of life on Krakoa. That yeah. we're getting all of the big monumental stuff here. I like it when I can go to the Unlimited and see, like, oh yeah, who's hanging out of the Green Lagoon today? Like, that's, yeah. that's where it's fun. Forcing me to get the conclusion to a story by switching over to the... Uh, not cool. Don't love it. No. But Pog or Pog, I loved it. 
I've seen people complaining about the fact that the fight scene was essentially like just given away at the end when they were like, oh yeah, here, just take my Mysterium. And like, why was he rewarded or whatever? But I thought that whole thing was a really fun, like, stakes dropper almost. That yeah. That book is, is dealing with some really heavy stuff. The line is dealing with some really heavy stuff. When they first announced he was back, I think a lot of people assumed it was tied to Genesis. And, like, because we're getting Exoswords 2 Electric Boogaloo, that it would somehow be tied to that. I love that it was just a random, he was just attacking Game World. Like, yeah. I thought it was fun. I thought it was just kind of silly, goofy action. And I kind of missed having that, you know, we're, we're real hot off the heels of the brood and Scott contemplating genocide and all of that. So like, let us have a little bit of fun with the gnome. Like who cares? Well, I think we've talked about it as much as we really enjoyed multiple of the crossovers this year. This adjectiveless book never got a chance to find its footing because it went from Ju- it went Judgment Day into Dark Web into uh, the Brood into Fall of X, and like this team never got a chance to just be a team and just go on adventures. Yeah. So it was nice to see them go on an adventure, and it gave a cool segue to the Gene and Scott stuff, and I think it's really interesting. I I read this one last just because of the way my my stack came to me this week. So I saw the Twitter reactions before I read it. Like people were talking like they were straight up already getting the divorce in this issue. And that's not quite the vibe I got. Like I was surprised it wasn't a more conclusive thing after I saw the kind of backlash or the angry Twitter Gene and Scott fans. Yeah. I just, you know, it's an argument. Yeah. Yeah. that's all it is. It's just a, like an argument, a discussion more than an argument, even. Like I do think they're eventually heading towards a oh. split. He's going to choose the team over her. Absolutely, because that's what Scott does. That's not what happened here. No, she she explicitly says like, "Oh, and if you don't end up on the team, like you can come find me. I'll I'll be out there." And they end with a kiss. Like I I, I don't I don't know. I didn't get the same takeaway that a lot of the angry Twitter people did. Same. I. Uh... I didn't really get it. How did how did you feel about Scott's reasoning for not going to Araco? I think it was in line with some of the other short sighted like stances he's taken in the past. Like I don't think it was out of character for him. I think it was a really stupid take though. Mm-hmm. Like to say I w- I'm not going to go see that really, really amazing accomplishment in two years because we're at the second Hellfire Hell since then. So yeah. even with a sliding timeline, two years have passed. So to say I- I'm not going to go see that accomplishment in over two years because I don't want to look like w- I'm running away from Earth when he had a house on the fucking moon for a large part of that two years. I, I don't know. It just seems like an odd take. Um, but I get it. I get why, like, he would put way too much symbology on it when really the correct stance is, oh my God, we accomplished the absolutely unfathomable. We need to celebrate what this says about mutant kind and what we can accomplish as a society. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think part of it for me is because like, you know, he had that running away angle and then he also had the angle of like, what if they don't let us back? 
you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Like, if we go there, then they have more of a reason to, like, see mutants as other and outsiders and not let them back on Earth because they live on Araco and all that. I understand that side of it more than the running away side of it. I guess that one, I don't even, like, went over in my head, but that one just seemed... She's not asking you to move there. She never asked you mm. to straight up relocate to Araco. She just said, why'd you never visit? Yeah. Like, you don't see humans being like, oh, Storm's not one of us anymore. Oh, Sunspot's not one of us anymore. Like, and they have moved. Even, who like, who's always just visited? I don't know. But you just, I, I, I guess, you, I, I get what you're saying. That argument at least has more grounds to stand on. Mm-hmm. But... It's still, to me, if you're talking about the actual logic of the argument, Gene has every right to be offended. Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying Scott is right in this aspect at all. Like, I think Gene has, is in every right to be mad and offended by it. I just think that that reason specifically is a lot more of a ironically human reason. Because it's that. like... You know, like, what if you go on vacation somewhere and then all of a sudden you don't have your passport anymore? Now you can't come home, you know? It's that kind of idea. Well, yeah, except when we go on vacation, we don't have a Krakoan gate that literally lets us go back without anyone's permission, but... <laughs> yeah, but, you know, same idea. It is. It's absolutely the same idea. I totally get what you mean. Why? Why is Manifold so damn important to everyone? Which I can tell you... Destiny sure shit didn't. <laughs> I know. I know. That was such a tease. I am so mad about that, by the way. Yeah, that me too. The, the probably worst of those miniseries is now super important. Really makes me mad. And, like, I get it. She can't tell the specifics or what the f- ever. I just... I, that irritates me every time. When it's oh, yeah. like, let me give you a haiku about it. You know, like... Let me give you vague poetry or whatever. It's a bad trope and I don't like it. Same. Same. You know what I do like? Mm. That the odds of Polaris getting back on the team seem to have skyrocketed. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know that that's for sure where they're going with it, but like once an X-Men, always an X-Men definitely implies she's getting on some team. And if she takes Gene seat, if, if she is like co-captaining it next time, if it's she's the one standing next to Scott, oh, that'd be so good. Cause I, I love me some Polaris. Oh yeah, I love Polaris. And like her breakdown, caught me off guard because I wasn't expecting to see her. But nice little emotional punch in one two page, like yeah, just show up and. All right. Any more before we move on to X twenty three Deadly whatever Genesis? I I think. I think I'm good to move on. Yeah, good to move on. Written by Eric Schultz, drawn by Edgar Salazar. It opens with Laura and Jordan, both attacking Kingpin after last issue's reveal that he was funding everything. So they brawl. Jordan ends up helping X-23 to the shock of no one but Chimera herself. Kingpin ditches Chimera when it's revealed the victims from last issue not only survived but holds a press conference blaming Kingpin. Uh, He steals Chimera's helicopter and Laura almost dies trying to bring it down. But, you know, in the end, she's fine. She gets to heal. And she made a new friend in Jordan. And they're all going to keep an eye on that Kingpin guy. You know, he's he's trouble. That was a comic book that happened. No, no, no. This doesn't <laughs> even deserve that status. No. 
Oh. Th- this was the most cliche, like, let's wrap it up, guys. Fifth issue ever. Laura Kenny is my favorite X-Men. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how anyone could enjoy this issue. Or this, yeah. this miniseries. This was so bland. Everything was so telegraphed. Uh, except I, I had assumed the X-Men would show up at some point. But no, she doesn't even... She, she talks about how she's found this found family. And her found family never fucking shows up for her. Never shows up. <laughs> I just... Dumb, dumb, dumb. This should have been around the Marvel Universe, but here we are talking about it. <laughs> so dumb. Any final thoughts? No, I have so no thoughts on that. Next week. Next week. We got Rogue and Gambit number five. Immortal Lexman number 13. We go right into more Kieran Gillen, which I'm all about. X-Force 42. Because we roll right into more bad Laura Kinney, which I'm not all about. And X-Men Days of Future Past hyphen Doomsday Number 1, which is one of those, we're going back to the alternate future to look at more of what's going on there, minis. If you want, we can pump that to a round. I, I'm i going to read it, but we don't, we don't have to talk about it majorly. And I do believe, I did not get it written down here, but I'm pretty sure Scarlet Witch is this week. If it's not, it's the next week, so... Maybe Scarlet Witch number six in around the Marvel Universe. Anything else you want to chat about? Any late breaking news? Any gossip? Any juicy goose? I think I think that's it for me. Do you, do you see this one that I, I have in my? That's hey. the, uh, the Scotty Young Exterminators cover. I love it so much. Uh, see you guys next time. I've been telling you every week. I'm still doing the newborn schedules crazy things so you'll get an episode when you'll get it eventually we'll do an episode you'll get it yeah you'll get it you're not gonna starve you might might even stay hungry for a day or two but you're not gonna starve no uh all the socials that nerdy pop bear unless it's the the bird app that's slowly dying and there you have to take off of that i'm just nerdy pop bear Gigan is Bulk Ranger on TikTok, Twitter, eventually Threads when the peer pressure gets to him. Yeah, eventually. And until next time, remember, bright pink clones of your girlfriend ain't your girlfriend. episodes since i had one like fall because remember how i had that for a couple yeah. like, I just kept falling off my shelf i moved the flashes lower so hopefully oh, oh, oh. Uh, this there, mirror yeah. thing. there we go i moved them <laughs> down my little conga line of flashes one day i'll get the legs to my my theta sentinel Ooh, i do love the theta <laughs> sentinel but it's it's trapped in like moira and jean gray uh <laughs> Well, oh yeah, I don't. You wouldn't need any of those guys. I I think I'm down. I think I'm good on figures for all. I still probably am gonna get Emma, but I'm trying to be a bit of a minimalist about it. I say while well, having three flashes over my head, but I, I got my black suit Superman. I got my Spidey Spider Punk. I've got my Darth Revan, and I got my flashes. I feel like I'm I'm in a good space. I'm meticulously meticulously set up my Kenobi uh, so he's doing the 
that that mm. move it took me some time <laughs> i think i've shown i think i've shown you my like favorite thing to do is mix them up with the like the wrestling accessories so my yeah. revan has the aw mic and he's do cutting a promo on uh, i guess he's he's standing alone now he used to be cutting a promo on uh donny kate's thor but i put him away my donny kate's thor is here Oh, I, I have him right next to your favorite villain, the penguin. <laughs> I think my thing with like the Donny Cates Thor is like he didn't get a conclusion. Yeah. He just he just switched co- costumes in the uh Gronbeck issues and then did you read the Thor annual that came out last week? Not yet. The annual's not any good, but it's got the first few pages of Al Ewing's Immortal Thor in the back, and that's a really fun little snippet. Uh, and it's basically he just puts on the old costume and sifts like, "What are, you, are is the king going out adventuring?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm still an adventurer." <laughs> That's a cute <laughs> little scene. That's good. All right, you ready? Ready. It's getting sinister out here again, but that won't stop us from our righteous cause. No amount of fear will put a Rocco Public Radio in stasis. This is episode 46 of your favorite casual X Men chat show. Uh, no, let me let me do deliver that again because I wanna I wanna hit hit the the puns the bad puns a little harder. We're starting over. 